0: let's pray lord we ask your blessing upon nehemiah chapter 2 verses 1 to 8 upon your people gathered here upon the preacher as he preaches ask for the holy spirit's wisdom but also the holy spirit's presence lord you said that uh, wherever two or three gather in your name there you are in our midst so we invite that presence here today show us your will, and your way through the scripture today. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Please be seated. It's not very big letters. I need to get better at this. But uh, if you were to see that today, what it says is an anchor for your soul or a hope for your future. And it occurred to me this morning when I was getting ready to come down here that probably a better title would be an anchor for your soul and, and a hope for the future but you can decide that when you're done let's walk through this one verse at a time Yeah, you know, it's funny when I was working on this this week I said oh this is going to be a short message by the end of the week <laughs> I'll do my best are you warm enough Travis could you pass along the message to Debbie <laughs> that the switch upstairs needs thrown thank you Let's take this a verse at a time. In the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer, as I told you last week. And he comes to the king and he says that before this, I had never had reason to be sad in the king's presence. Now you need some context. You need to know that last week we talked about the fact That when his brothers came from Judah, he asked, how's Jerusalem? How's the holy city? And the word that came back was, well, it's in ruins, its gates have been torn down, and it's been destroyed by fire. And so Nehemiah, you'll recall, uh, was brokenhearted about that. He went and wept, he went into mourning, and uh, as I'm going to tell you in a few minutes, he actually does not come to the king until this month, the month of Nisan. The reason that's important is because the first chapter told you the month. I am not literate in Hebrew months, in the Jewish months, but I can tell you that four months passed. So from the time that Nehemiah got word of how bad things were, he waited four months before he came to the king and had presents to ask uh, about his situation. And so the king says this in the second verse, Why is your face sad? seeing that you are not sick. This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. The king recognizes this sadness. The king asks about it. And when it says that Nehemiah is afraid, you need to know that Nehemiah needs to be afraid. This is the king that you recall from last week I told you had halted the rebuilding of the wall before. Nehemiah knew that. It was never proper to be sad in the king's presence. The king did not need to be bothered with other people's problems. Often kings of this time, if if things looked bad this way for someone, they would simply say, get out of my presence and never come back. And the truth is you might not actually be able to come back because he may have you put to death so Nehemiah said to the king, again, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad? The city, the place of my father's graves lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed with fire. Now there's something I didn't mention to you when I read this through in the first reading, and that is take note that he says the city, the city, the place of my father's graves. Do you note that he doesn't say what city? Remember what we talked about last week. Ezra had gone back with the idea of rebuilding them walls, and the king stopped it. Nehemiah knows this. Maybe, maybe, I don't know that this is true, but maybe Nehemiah said, you know, if I tell him what city, this is going to get ugly. I don't know if he was trying to hide that or not, but I take note of the fact that the Scripture says all he said was the city, the place of my father's grave. And the king said to him, what are you requesting? Note that uh, what Nehemiah does next. So I prayed to the God of heaven. You know the king valued Nehemiah? When you value someone, you want to help them. You want to be of service to them. Now when it says that the king said, what are you requesting? And it says, so I prayed to the God of heaven i want you to know that i think that prayer came right now and i want you to know that i believe that prayer was just a blip you ever do that you pray you blip. had a friend who told me one time he prays arrow prayers and what his arrow prayers are are when he sees somebody who looks like they need a prayer he just shoots a prayer at him that's an arrow prayer if he would have held up if he would have waited i mean remember the king Always had somebody trying to unseat him. And the way you did that was in the most unseemly of ways. You had to kill him. If Nehemiah would have hesitated, if he would have got a, uh, just something about him besides that sad look and hesitated for a minute, the king might have just had that hair on the back of his neck stand up to the point where he said, uh-oh, something's up. Nehemiah doesn't have time to do anything. He doesn't have time to pray. He just recognizes, Nehemiah does, Who's holding his fate in his hand? And that is not the king. That's the Lord. And so he prays to the Lord. But what I really want you to see here is this. That little blip of a prayer, and please hear this, was backed up by four months of preparation. That little prayer involved four months of fasting and praying. I'll tell you, if Nehemiah had not taken that time to prepare to come before the king, I wonder what might have happened in this situation. It's important to note that in the short book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah will pray six other times in this passage. Quite a bit of praying in such a small book. But Nehemiah knew his need. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servants found favor in your sight, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. It's a pretty simple verse right there. Can I go and rebuild my father's city? The king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone? When will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. When you get into this book and you read about him rebuilding that wall, you're going to find it took him something like 54 or 55 days. But do you know how long he stayed? Twelve years. Twelve years. Remember, he asked the king, he's going to ask the king in the next couple of verses for letters to get there, but also for wood, for stuff to build. And one of the things he asked for is for his own house, for the house that I reside in. And that was a clue to us that he wasn't gone for just 55 days. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. So he gets the letters to get through and a letter to Asaph. Did that slide change? Yes, it did. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I will occupy. And the king granted me What I asked for. And the good hand of my God was upon me. He gets letters for provisions. And he recognizes the hand of God upon his life. You know I want to go back for a minute to those four months. I want to talk about them. I'm going to talk about three things today. And then we'll get to the bottom line. I want to talk about those four months. And the investment of waiting. Why did Nehemiah wait before he went to the king Wait, waiting for Nehemiah was waiting for the Lord's direction the book of Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 12 it says this through faith and patience we inherit God's promises did you ever get impatient you ever just get impatient I get impatient you ever been impatient with God through faith and through patience we will inherit the promises told you before but i'll never forget it old bill bill was in his 90s he used to come to where i used to work every day he told me about going to see the preacher my preacher not going to see him but standing in line at the grocery store with the preacher and the preacher is standing behind him and bill looks at him and says you can go ahead of me i got all the time in the world and the preacher walked in front of me and then he said that's what you think uh, sometimes patience is a virtue through faith and patience we inherit the promises isaiah said he that believes should not make haste i want you to think about that he that believes should not be in a hurry because sometimes true faith brings calmness to our heart sometimes true faith keeps us from rushing into things that we shouldn't rush into Sometimes waiting helps us to trust God for what we would otherwise try to do on our own. Sometimes it's important to just wait and pray. When Moses got to the edge of the the river and he didn't know how he was going to get across and the people began to cry out and say, why didn't we stay in Egypt? I want you to hear what Moses said, fear not and stand firm. Did you hear that? That word stand firm is wait. Wait. Fear not and stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for us today. God speaks and says, be still and know that I am God. Be still. Just be still and wait. Nehemiah earned, learned rather, the importance of the investment of just waiting on God. But something Nehemiah didn't miss was the inspiration of the past. Why was he rebuilding that wall? I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins? Its gates have been destroyed with fire. You hear what he said, the place of my father's graves. You get down to the fifth verse, he'll use that phrase again. If it pleases the king, and if I found favor in your sight, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves. Did you hear the respect that Nehemiah had for his ancestors? You've got to know he wasn't referring to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They weren't buried there. He wasn't even referring to King David 500 years before him. King David was buried in the city of David, Bethlehem. He's talking about Hezekiah and Joash and Josiah and Jehoahaz and all of the kings of Judah. And you've got to know something about that. Listen close to what I'm about to say to you. The graves of my father, the city of the, where my fathers are buried. His fathers were those kings. And what you really need to know is some of them were good and some of them were bad. Why do I say that? Most of, the, most of the times when a king b- dies in the Bible, during this time frame I'm talking about, just before D.M.I., here's what it says about that king dying. And sometimes they die in a matter of three verses. But, but here's what it says. He was carried by the people to Jerusalem in a chariot, and he was buried among the kings, or he was buried with the kings. You heard me mention a moment ago King Jehoahaz. I want you to hear how He died. In Second Chronicles twenty one twenty, it says this. He was 32 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he departed with no one's regret. And they buried him in the city of David, but not in the tombs of the kings. How would you like to have that for your obituary? Joel died to no one's regret, and we put him in the ground. Nehemiah said the place where my fathers are buried, that city where my fathers are buried, he was talking about the good ones and the bad ones. So what was it about those kings, the, the, the people he's talking about, that motivated his desire to rebuild those walls? And I want you to listen real close to this thought too. I believe Nehemiah learned from the past in order to live for the future. I believe he wanted to learn from the good kings, but also the bad ones. You can look at the bad things and say, gee, I need to learn from that. Some would say Nehemiah had big dreams. Others would say he had a vision. He wanted to see his city restored. He wanted the captivity over. He wanted to see God's people back where God intended for them to be originally but nehemiah also knew the reason they were in captivity it's a simple word it's called sin not just a little bit of sin years and years decades and centuries of god speaking to them about the way they were living the sin they were committing and their failure to repent The way I know that that's what Nehemiah knew is because of what we talked about last week. Here's his prayer we talked about last week. The remnant there in the province who had survived the exile was in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates are destroyed. That's when his brothers came back and told him how things were. And listen to what it says. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept, and I prayed and I mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying about Jerusalem. Now I want you to look at this, O oh Lord God, let the heaven the, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant love with those who love him, and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive, your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant, and I now pray this day before you and night for the people of your Israel, your servants. Confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We've acted corruptly against you, and we've not kept the commandments, the statutes, the rules that you commanded, your servant Moses. What I want you to see is he was talking about those fathers that are buried in the city, and what he said was they were sinners. What he was saying was they didn't have it right all the time. And Nehemiah is willing to honor their memory without sugarcoating their reality. He was a good man may sound great at the side of a casket. But to the child who was raised by that person and beaten by that person and watched his mother get injured by that person day by day, those words mean nothing. he probably learned something Nehemiah didn't want to destroy their memory he didn't want to live as if this never happened are you with me he wanted to recognize it confess it learn from it and get on with it you see our past oh I'm going to ruin my bottom line let me hold that thought see your past can help to guide you into your future or it can hold you like an anchor to a past that's unhelpful church we got to be careful when we think that our mantra needs to be as it was in the beginning it is now and ever shall be because I want you to recognize that God is the same yesterday today and forever but his people have never been unhealthy patterns that we hold on to you got to let them go unhealthy people that we want to hold on to you got to let them go when the future is at stake literally life or death you got to learn from the past and use that wisdom to form your future never forget that dmi prayed and asked for forgiveness for sins he never committed he didn't try to duplicate the past He wanted to build upon that past so Israel would have a future. So he says, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I may now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house. We have acted very corruptly against you. We've not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Did you catch what he was saying? He was saying, even the bad of the past can inspire us to have a better future. You realize that God uses the good and the bad? Scripture says, all things work together for the good to those that love God and are called according to his purposes. So understood the wisdom of preparing. Remember the fourth verse? The king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I've already told you this, but I'm going to say it again. The prayer was short because the preparation was complete. For four months, Nehemiah waited and he prepared. He spent that time in preparation so he could pray that prayer of brevity by faith. Church, I'm not advocating today that you pray short or that you pray long. But when the work's been done, the faith's got to begin. There's a time to pray, and there's also a time to get to work. I take note of the fact that Nehemiah was acting in faith and not fear. He asked for letters from the king. He got them. He asked for materials. He got them. He asked for time. He got time. But at the end of the verse, he says this, the hand of God was upon me. All that stuff came from the king. But he understood who gave it to him. The hand of God was upon me. When he met with the people in in a, in a, a week or so, when we get into that 18th verse, when he rides, he finally gets to Jerusalem, he rides around the city and he sees his city. You know what he says to the men that he comes back to report? He says, the hand of God has been upon me for good. And also the works that the king has spoken to me. You see, what what Nehemiah had more than anything was a heart that was willing to be used. When Jesus called his disciples, he said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. But then he turned to them and he gave them that same authority to do what he had done. Called those disciples, he said to them, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, preach as you go the kingdoms at hand, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons then he throws this in there. You received without pay, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, no tunics or sandals, or a staff for the laborer, because the laborer deserves his food. You know what Jesus was saying? Go by faith. Go by faith. And here's the point with Nehemiah that I want you to get your past should never be an anchor. Our past should never be an anchor. It should be a rudder. Did you ever read, I know you've read or you've heard preached a thousand times the sermons from the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 there. Did you ever notice how Jesus starts that? He says, I have not come to destroy the law and the prophets. I've come to fulfill them. And then he goes on to say things like this. You've heard that it was said, don't commit adultery. Yeah, that's one of the Ten Commandments. We heard that. He says, but I'm going to tell you something. If you look on a woman the wrong way, you've already sinned anyway. You've heard it said don't commit murder. Yeah, that's one of the Ten Commandments too. Yeah, but I'm going to tell you something. If you say to somebody they're an idiot, you've committed the sin already. Jesus says, I ain't come to destroy that. That was good. But I came to show you how to live it. Nehemiah looked at the good and the bad of his fathers, those kings, the good ones and the bad ones, and he said, you know, we've got to build on this because we're God's people. I find it interesting that Hebrews says this, we have a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. You know what I like about that. Our sure and steadfast anchor for the soul is Jesus in the context of that passage in Hebrews 6. The very next breath, he says, and a hope that enters into the inner place where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. You know what he said there? He said we are anchored in who Jesus is. We are anchored in what Jesus taught us. We are anchored in what the word of God gives to us. But we also have a future. He says we have a Anchor for the soul and a hope that has entered into a place behind the curtain where Jesus already is. Hear me, church. It does not appear what we shall be, but we know when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him just as he is. Right now, I can't see what's going on out in that hallway, but God's there. I can't see what's happening up on Fulton, but in a little bit, I'm going to drive down that road, and God's already there. And if I drive home and it's safe and all's good, it's because God was already there. And if I get in an accident and things don't turn out so well, God's already there. You know why? Because I got an anchor and I got a hope. It's interesting how we deal with things. When Sodom was going to be destroyed and Abraham showed up to save him, Lot got out, but his wife looked back. Did you ever catch that? (laughs) Lot got out. But his wife looked back. When Israel was in bondage in Egypt, God freed them for the promised land. When Moses was out there in a field because he had murdered an Egyptian, God used that time and that terrible past to prepare him for what was next to lead those people up out of bondage. When David was out there in a shepherd's field with his... his tools of a shepherd. He never dreamed that God would use those lessons to teach him how to be a king. And when David was in Saul's court and King Saul was throwing spears at him, David learned how to duck. Because sometimes even when you're a king, you gotta learn to duck and also not to throw spears. When Peter's fishing on the Sea of Galilee, he never imagined that Jesus would come along and say, I'm gonna make you a fisher of men. All of that is to say to you and to say to me, God's past dealings with us are always meant to lead us into his best future. Our future is not anchored in something in the past. We learn from that. But we take it and we steer the ship to where he's leading us. There's two guys from Australia. They call themselves king and country. And they wrote a song, and I played this at some meeting before, but I'm going to play it again. It's called Burn the Ships. And the reason I'm playing it is for this reason. One of these guys' wives got a drug addiction. And one day she woke up and said, I'm going to flush the pills, and that's the end of that. She flushed the pills, and that was the end of that. She set that past behind her. He moved into a brighter future. You know what Jesus died on the cross for? For that ugly past we have to have a much better future. And We can learn from all that, and we can, we can understand that that's there. But we always have to understand that our anchor is not what we did. It's who saved us from it. And our hope is not in what we did, but rather in where he's taking us to. So with that in mind... Uh, We're going to play this. I need to say to the people that may be online, you go look that up on YouTube because I don't have the rights to play this for you. That's Eric's clue to shut down Facebook. God bless you as you go. You can pray on your own today. And um, as you go, Eric's now going to play that for us right here. Tomorrow. So fast the feeling I love the line that says, not just burn the ships, but dance upon the heartache. Um, That's really what we need to do. Sin is back there. The best life is ahead. Dance upon the heartache. Let's sing together and then we'll pray a benediction. Before you leave today, after I've prayed the benediction, I have just two words I need to say to you. So please don't jump immediately. Just give me those minutes for those two.